I don't think I realized how whitewashed the industry was. I didn't consider the implications of a fat Indian woman working in the magazine industry. From Stylist, this is Nobody Told Me. Stories of life, love, grief, success and failure and the lessons learned by the women who survived to tell the tale. I'm your host, Lisa Smazarski, Editor-in-Chief of Stylist. In today's episode, we're joined by Billy Bartier, Stylist columnist and Fashion Features Editor. One of the UK's most respected and talented fashion writers, Billy has spent the past six years shaking up the fashion world from the inside out. Growing up, Billy says she never saw herself reflected in the world of fashion or in magazines, but through her talent and a lot of grit and determination, she has paved the way for a new generation of journalists and fashion role models. This is Billy's story in her own words. My name is Billy Bartia. Nobody told me someone who looks like me would ever work in fashion. I was a classic middle child in a big, loud Indian family. I really loved people. My dad is very social, like I am, and so a lot of the time, weekends were dinner parties, and I just have a a lot of um, childhood memories of just going up and speaking to any adult I could find, and obviously a lot of them were not interested in, like, a precocious eight-year-old, but I was like, so, who are you? What do you do? I loved writing as a child. I'd, I'd write stories a lot and I was quite good at it when I was younger. I'd say like up to the age of 13, I really thought I was good at creative writing, mainly because I won the creative writing award at primary school. So I'd, I you know, had a massive ego boost from that. But when I went to secondary school and the classes were bigger and the, the range of people in them was much more diverse, I lost confidence in my writing because there were so many people that were much better than I was. And I still took um, English as far as I could at school, took it to A-level and I asked my English tutor, um, do you think I could do this at university? I I do really love English. I know I'm not best here, but I I love it. And he, he said, I don't think you're good enough to do English. So I wrote it off and then I got my results on A-level day and I I ended up getting 100% in my English A-level. And I was gutted because I hadn't applied anywhere to do English. And by that point, I just couldn't get onto a course. Fashion wasn't really something I paid much attention to. I was an overweight child, so it was kind of whatever clothes could fit type situation from, you know, Gap, M&S, wherever um, my poor mum could find them for me. I think it probably coincided the same time as boys did and relationships did, um, that fashion became a talking point and something that I was much more aware of than I was before. My parents and my, my siblings love telling stories about the things I used to wear when I was younger, like denim skirts that I cut myself that were dreadful and way too short and I'd wear with like thick black leggings and I I had this real obsession with belts because I thought that they made me look slimmer. I had this huge brown leather one from Kukai and I was thrilled that it was Kukai 
and I would strap myself into this belt like around my hips on anything like on sweatpants on skirts on jeans anything I could find this like Miss Trunchbull belt would come with me I think I tried to kind of make myself smaller in every sense of the phrase um, with clothes. I didn't want to stand out. I, I wanted to buy the same things from the same places that all my friends were buying. I didn't, you know, I hated that so much of it didn't fit me or suit me and I couldn't have it. I looked awful <laughs> because I was trying to kind of fit myself into something that, that wasn't for me. I really wanted to be a doctor, but I was terrible at science. <laughs> so that idea quickly got binned. And the next idea was that I wanted to be a lawyer. And that was one that definitely stuck. My dad's a lawyer. It was just sort of presumed that I would follow in his footsteps. But I didn't want to study law at university. So I did classics with a view to doing a law conversion, which which I did. I, I had this path quite clearly set from, I'd say, like, 14, 15, that I would end up being a lawyer. At school, I wanted Jack Wills and Abercrombie and all those kind of like glorified leisure wear brands. And then when I got to university, I just met so many people from so many different backgrounds and so many different places um, that all dressed so differently. Like they really influenced me on how to get dressed, I suppose is the best term because I don't think I'd ever really had practiced the art of getting dressed before. I'd just put clothes on that I thought would cover me as opposed to wearing something that made me feel good. I'd always been interested in magazines from Miz and Bliss and Seventeen and I would literally like run to the shop every week to get look. And as I got at university and everyone sticks things on their walls, you know, like an Audrey Hepburn poster or a Marilyn Monroe poster, I was like, that's a bit cliche, even though I did have one. And I would just rip out pages from, from Vogue and Elle and stick them on my wall. And I thought I was edgy because of it. I didn't expect to see anyone who'd resembled what I looked like in magazines. There wasn't anyone that looked like me on TV. There wasn't anyone that looked like me in films. If there was a, f a fat character, they were always the, the joke, the laugh, that larger than life. I hate that phrase, it's awful. That larger than life character, which I get frequently called. No one that looked like me was classed as a role model or uh, someone to look up to. You weren't supposed to be seen and if you were seen, you were a joke. I think it was actually my second day of law school when my books, like the biggest box of books you've ever seen arrived. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure this is what I signed up to. This looks like real hard work. And I remember having like a complete meltdown to my housemates. And I was like, I, I don't think that I want to do law. And they were like, you literally just started law school. So I think that you should stick it out a little bit longer. <laughs> I confided in my mum, I said, oh, I really don't like this. And she said, look, it's paid for, it's done, it's a year, you've just got to do it. And that was the attitude I had towards it. It was the most intense year of my life, but it was just something I had to get through and pass. 
once I left law school, I moved back to Leicester, moved back in with my family, at which point most of my friends had left to go to London on grad schemes and jobs and really, really exciting things. So I did what everybody would do and I worked in a bar until I really spent some time um, focusing on myself, which was quite difficult because I'm not very good at being like alone with my own thoughts. I think social people are like that. They need people to bounce those ideas off, but all my people had had gone. Um, So I had to really sit and think about what am I good at? What do I want to do? And how can I do it? When I thought about writing as a as a career, I totally romanticised writing for a magazine, but I also romanticised what I would look like writing for a magazine. I really thought the only way I could ever work in fashion was if I was thin, um, because that was all that I had ever, ever seen in magazines, on billboards, on campaigns, on catwalks, tall thin beautiful women and I didn't measure up to any of those characteristics so I never actually really considered working in magazines as a as a reality because those ideals that I had set for myself were just as bad as the ones that the magazines were painting a picture of nobody ever told me I would one day work in one of those magazines I knew that I loved, still loved writing and I wrote for my university paper. The things I wanted to write about were fashion things and beauty things like, you know, the perfect black dress and the perfect red lipstick and style inspiration. And I forgot, I think, that writing was what I found fun and what was joyful. And I started my own blog, which was called From Fat to Fit Billy. It was basically just like musings of someone who had finished university, didn't know what they wanted to do, didn't know where they were going. I guess it was a column of sorts, that it was just things that I found interesting. But I had got this idea in my head that what success looked like was being thin. So I got a personal trainer and I started eating really well. I was really kind of focused on this mission of being thin and that way I would be accepted. I don't think I realised how whitewashed and how prejudiced the industry was until I got into it. I think I was so naive that I just wanted to prove that I could be good at something that not many people thought I could be good at. And I was determined to prove that, that I didn't, I didn't consider the implications of a, a fat Indian woman working in the magazine industry. I googled every magazine going and found a contact email address and just blanket sent out probably close to like five, six hundred emails and I was just swamped with rejections. Like, as soon as that ping went out, another ping was returned. Sorry, no, we don't have time or space for you. I was really close to giving up. I was kind of thinking, okay, what else can I do aside from this? Because it doesn't look to be going very well. (laughs) When an email landed in my inbox from Sunday Time Style and said, yes, great, we need an intern. Can you start next Monday? 
And I was like, oh my God, I, I didn't actually think that this would happen. I didn't think that anybody would reply. And now I've, now I've got the internship. Now what do I do? So I went into a huge mad panic because I was like, what do I wear? Not can I do the job? How am I going to get to London? Where am I going to live? Where is the office? I'm really crap on the tube. How does it work? It was like, you know, ASOS Overdrive is basically the, the headspace that I went into. So I was really quiet on my first day. I was terrified. It was really not in my character to, to be nervous, I guess. But I was so intimidated by the size of the building and the people that were walking in and out of it. I was like, what am I doing here? I just was like a, like a puppy. I was like, whatever you say, I'm just gonna say yes. So they were like, okay, Billy, here's your desk, it's in the cupboard, yes. Can you do these returns? Yes. Do you know where this is? Yes. I had no idea. I said yes to things I did not know the answers to. Thank you, Google. I basically was like, I need to soak in as much information as humanly possible across these next four weeks. I need to try and be confident and speak to people and gain some insight as to how I can make this a job. I mean, I knew so little that when the editor came in uh, to the fashion cupboard and she gave me a pair of um, Miu Miu shoes and she said, these need to go back to Prada. I like looked at her really blankly and I was like, but it says on here, Miu Miu. She was like, yes, send them to Prada. So I then Googled Miu Miu and Prada and found out that they're part of the same company <laughs> and I just did like these are things I just didn't know before that I, I anybody else as an intern a hundred percent would know I had this amazing mentor at Sunday Time Style and she taught me so much when I was there she let me come on shoots with her and she really kind of gave me the lay of the land of how a magazine works and so when it came to the end of my four weeks she asked me you know what are you doing next? Because as an intern, you're supposed to have an answer to that question. And I said, well, I haven't actually got anything lined up, but I'd love to go to Vogue, kind of as a joke. She was like, okay, no problem. I've got a friend there. I'll give her a message. And I got an interview and she was like, great. Yeah, cool. When can you intern? It is quite a closed industry in that sense. It, you very much rely on recommendations of other people. And through that channel, I managed to get a one year internship at L, and that's really where my career as a writer started. It took a while, I'd say, and not until my third internship that I realised, okay, this is, this is where I want to be. I want to be a writer and I want to write about fashion and I want to write about the world as well as fashion. And I want to do the fun things like the parties and the travel. And I want to meet fun people and I think as soon as I had my eye on that, I just went for it. I was really lucky on the whole that I kind of found the really great people at magazines who couldn't give less of a crap what you looked like, so long as you were good at the job. But it was probably more senior people who were more close-minded. I remember one interview where in not so many words, I was I was told I wasn't, essentially I wasn't good looking enough for the job because part of the job had to be front facing and an extension of the brand and 
um, in looking the way that I looked, I, I, I didn't really fit the aesthetic of the brand. So I didn't get the job. I was really sad for like a day about it. And then I was just really angry. And then I kind of laughed about it because if I was just sad and angry all the time, I wouldn't get anywhere. And the joke was on them because I was more than overqualified for the position. And I could have done something really good there. But I got to do something really good somewhere else for people that deserved it a lot more. After the one year internship, I was made a permanent member of staff at Elle um, as their fashion assistant and then fashion writer. It was amazing to have writer in my job title because it was something I suppose I'd been working towards most of my fashion career and to be recognised as a writer was really amazing and, and kind of felt like a real adult moment. I had good friends there. I was having a great time there. My voice was being heard there. I wasn't made to feel different from anybody else. I was very much just another member of the team. And even in some circumstances, I was probably treated preferentially to others because I had a point of difference. Um, but it wasn't until I stepped out of that bubble of the office and started going to Fashion Week that I really realised how different I was to everybody else. It was just this sea of people that were glamorous and beautiful and super well-dressed in, in head-to-toe designer pieces and the perfect honey blonde hair. And at every point of a fashion show, I was treated differently. Me and my peers, who were both white and slim, we were walking into a show and uh, we all had our invites in our hands and they go sailing through and I get stopped by the security or the PR asking to check my invitation to make sure that I was actually invited to the show because it was very apparent to them that I was the kind of person that wouldn't be invited to a show. I was like squeezed onto the end of benches. You know, you've got editors from all over the world looking at you as you go in and try and find your like seat 10 rows back and you'd feel the eyes look you up and down one because you were fat two because you weren't white three because you weren't wearing designer clothes and four because I was so flustered I didn't ask anyone for help so I looked like an absolute like headless chicken trying to find where I was going and I just felt so awful about myself and really uncomfortable in that landscape I found it really disheartening that it didn't matter the work that I'd done or how good I was because ultimately I just didn't look like I belonged there and that was all that mattered to people. One uh, fashion week, a lot of people from the magazine I then worked for, we were all just stood around having a chat and it was quite a nice, I suppose, a nice composition of people and a, a few photographers were kind of taking pictures of us all and one of them tapped me on the shoulder and he said, oh, could you just move out of the way? And I said, well, well, actually, I'm part of the team. And he was like, oh, OK, but could you just move out of the way? I just tried every way possible to make myself small. I tried to wear clothes that would swamp me and hide me. I wore all black. I cried a lot. I would have this mantra if ever I was in situations when I felt uncomfortable, if people aren't kind to you, pretend it doesn't hurt. And that kind of 
fake confidence got me through a lot of those occasions where I was might have been crumbling on the inside but outwardly you know the smile was very much still on my face and all was good. I realised I, I was doing well despite all of the other stuff and that was like a turning point that I was like if I'm doing well whilst I look like this why would I change myself to fit something that isn't required of me anymore or I'm not putting that requirement on myself anymore because if I'm doing well as is why don't I just use the fact that I'm different to propel myself forward I realised that there was no point in trying to be something I wasn't and trying to fit myself into this ideal that I thought was necessary to succeed when actually, you know, I had all of the ingredients I already needed to succeed in just being myself. My attitude really shifted from wanting to bend myself and mould myself and make myself smaller to fit into the industry and to fit in with everybody else who was around me to doing a complete 180 and saying, okay, if I'm not gonna fit in, I'm gonna stand out. I loved getting stylists on the tube. Me and my friends would text each other every Wednesday morning, like, happy stylist day, long before, you know, I even had my interview there for a job. And so when I joined, I was just kind of like in awe for a long time. When the opportunity came up to kind of discuss what I wanted to be at Stylist and I said columnist I, I genuinely didn't think that that would be taken seriously I was still relatively junior so I was obviously thrilled when they did decide that was something they wanted and I got to kind of say that I was a columnist before my 30th birthday which felt like a real kind of moment in not just my career but my life that I'd achieved something that I didn't think I would ever achieve in my career and so yeah it's pretty mega to get to say that you're a columnist. Sometimes I do think about the teacher who told me I definitely shouldn't do English at university and how fun it would be to go back and tell him hey actually I do this for a job now and also maybe to tell the kids like don't take it too seriously when they say you can't do it or you won't get an A or, you know, think about another career choice because if you do really love it, then just do it. I've been working in the fashion industry now for, for over six years and I really see my differences as a, as a huge benefit. It allows me to have a really unique point of view and I actually wish it wasn't as unique as it is. I wish there were more people that shared the same point of view but we are we're getting there there's progress being different has been the best thing that's ever happened to me in fashion it has allowed me to see things in a way that other people haven't it's allowed me to challenge the way things have been in the industry and I do feel optimistic I think that even in the short time that I have been part of the fashion industry I have seen such a huge change I've gone from being the only person in the room of colour to definitely not being the only person in the room of colour and the same with body shape like you know we see such a huge range of women now in magazines so much bigger than what we used to see or at least you know the pictures that were covering my walls at university the boundaries are being pushed further to make it a more inclusive space you know that's 
across the, the fashion industry in terms of editors and influencers and influencers have really had a big impact on the fashion industry in that way because there's this really brilliant community of plus size women online and you know they have had voices and platforms to challenge the way that beauty and standards have, have previously been perceived. I'm really encouraged by that movement and it just needs to be pushed further and pushed harder, probably at a slightly quicker pace. But I think that the industry is, is ready and waiting and willing for a change to happen. And if I get to be part of that, then I'd be really happy. You're listening to Nobody Told Me. I'm your host, Lisa Smazarski, and you've been listening to the story of Billy Bartier. I've known Billy for a couple of years now, and she has written many powerful pieces about her journey trying to fit into the world of fashion. But hearing her talk of how awful that world has made her feel so many times is truly heartbreaking, especially when that world is so lucky to have her. From the moment I met Billy, I, like many editors before me, knew that she had something special. She's a brilliant writer, an intelligent analyst of fashion, an explorer of identity, and she has an energy that attracts people to her like moths to a flame. But beneath that, there is an honesty, a vulnerability that perhaps, shaped by her experience breaking into a career where conformity wasn't an option, she is made to be truly unique in the fashion world. I love Billy's spirit of, if I'm not going to fit in, I'm going to stand out, because that's exactly what she does. And whatever has given her the courage and grit to do that in a world that was too slow to change on its own, has helped her to become a pioneer and a role model in 2020. I genuinely don't lie to you when I say that now, when I'm at Fashion Week with the rest of the fashion team, it's us that's asked to stand aside while Billy's picture is taken. She has helped to change and shape how fashion is reflected, not just in the media, but how designers and brands reflect and talk to consumers. The fashion world is supposed to be the one that is born from pioneering creativity, from identity politics, yet it has been too slow to speak to and reflect everyone properly. Because we don't all conform by race, body shape or aesthetic ideal. Billy is the new face of fashion. She is the new role model. Her picture is the new poster on a student's wall, nudging old Audrey Hepburn aside. And although Billy will always stand out because let's face it, she's that kind of person, seeing women who look like Billy in the media, in fashion or in our social feeds, needs to become the norm, not the exception. No one should feel that they need to have to stand out because they can't fit in. No one should have to fight to show off their intelligence or talent because their appearance doesn't fit. If fashion is about identity, then there will never be a one-size-fits-all solution because the thing about identity is that it is always beautifully unique. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this series of Nobody Told Me and the incredible stories shared by our guests. So please do leave a rating or review in the podcast store. And don't forget, if you have a story and the lessons you learn from it that you want to share in a further episode of Nobody Told Me, or you know someone else whose story we should share, email ntm at stylist.co.uk. And for more inspiring stories from women around the world, don't forget to visit stylist.co.uk. 
Thank you for listening to Nobody Told Me.